You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. You can open up your Bible if you have one to a very famous passage in all the Bible, maybe the most famous uh, in our culture at least, John chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 16 uh, here in a minute as we uh, open God's Word together. So John three sixteen, and we'll go down to verse 21 uh, for today, but... I don't know how many of you are football fans. Uh, I am. But I was, as I was thinking of this passage, a certain football player and uh, happening came to mind uh, from about five or six years ago. It was in early 2012, January 2012. Uh, there was a Sunday, and you'll see why it's attached to football in just a minute. There was a Sunday night into a Monday morning where uh, Google keeps track of trends of what people are searching for on Google and like what's rising and search, being searched for by people. And the top trend of that Sunday uh, night into Monday morning in January 2012 was this. It was the 316 passage. That was what was getting searched for by a bunch of people, maybe uh, many or some maybe in this room, I don't know, that, that Sunday. But the reason uh, that that was searched for, but this, this will start to tell you why football has to do with this. The second and third trending topics that Sunday night into that Monday morning were these. After the 316 passage were Tebow and Tim Tebow. Those were number two and three. And if you don't know who he is, that's okay. He, that's not that important. But he is a, was a football player. Uh, he was very famous. Maybe even if you saw his picture, you know who he was. But what had happened on this Sunday, uh, and follow with me on this, is that he had led his team to a comeback. He's in the NFL at that point in time, was playing quarterback for uh, the Denver Broncos, and they were in the playoffs. And he led his team through this crazy comeback on a vic- into a victory and overtime nonetheless and what some people started to notice was a couple things and this started clicking people to think like all these coincidences of numbers coming together so people noticed that when he uh, when the game was completed that he had thrown for a total of 316 yards okay it gets cornier after this okay so he had thrown for 316 yards Uh, they had noticed that three years to the day three years to the day earlier he had led his team in college at florida uh, to the national championship and on that game he had worn eye black you know what that stuff is that goes under your eyes and had written john 316 on it people are like "Ooh, wow this is crazy and then uh he had his average for that game the one the playoff game uh, his average per completion was 31.6 yards per completion and people are like, oh man scratching their heads and then to cap it all off of corniness and just seeking for connections uh the peak of the tv ratings for that game like when they got to their highest point which is a very high rating was a 31.6 by the measurements that they use and so people are like oh man they're amazed by this and uh, just in wonder of how could all these things be all these 316s coming together and this is a Christian guy and is he the Messiah and I don't know what they're thinking uh, probably not that I hope not that uh, but they were intrigued nonetheless and there was all these little things on social media about all these connections and so people were searching in droves on Google what is this 316 passage from the Bible what, what is it And the sad thing is that probably most people, if they were not familiar with it and just Googled it, just read it maybe once, found John 3.16 in the Bible, read it, 
it's in one eyeball, out the other eyeball, and then they don't think about it after that. And they're more amazed that all these three, one, six things are coming together than they are that God so loved the world that he sent his son into it to save sinners like us. And so that is what this text is about, uh, that, that uh, this passage is about is the love of God, which is infinitely, and, and I say that literally, infinitely more important than a football game or eye black or yardage or TV ratings. This passage has infinite, eternal importance to us because it describes the love of God and his love towards us as people who don't deserve it. And so I'm going to uh, read this passage for us. We're going to mainly look at John 3.16 a little bit at seven. But then we'll read down through 21, and we'll at least cover a little bit of those verses that follow. Um, but what this is, if, it, if you weren't here last Sunday, we're in the middle of a conversation uh, between Jesus, he's early on in his ministry, uh, and this man named Nicodemus, who was a teacher of the Jewish people in Jesus' day around Jerusalem. They've been having this conversation, uh, and Jesus just cuts to the chase at the beginning of it, like we saw last week, and talks about how people need to be born again. They need to be born of the Spirit, not just born physically, but we need to have this life given to us within by the holy spirit and we're up to this point in the conversation and i will note this for you before i read this we think i think this is a continuation of jesus talking here uh if you have a red letter bible that puts jesus's words in red it's probably red this paragraph but we don't know that for sure uh one thing that we have in our language which is really helpful is quotation marks like when you write something down and uh the the person who's writing it wants you to know that a person is speaking they put a quotation mark at the beginning of it and they put a quotation mark at the end of it so you know okay that person's little speech is done but not all languages have that and the language that this was originally written in did not have that it just it didn't even have like periods and commas and things like that it was just letter 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 and you're left to piece together when is somebody talking uh, when's the next person talking when's it the narrator and sometimes it's not really clear and this is one of those this i think it's jesus continuing to talk uh, to Nicodemus, but it very well could be this paragraph that this is the Apostle John just elaborating, because he was probably in the room when they were having this conversation, I'm guessing, and he may have been elaborating more afterwards of what Jesus was getting at and the significance of these things. But regardless, it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's in God's Word. It's for our good. And so let's read this together, John three sixteen to 21. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. And so this, whether it was written by... Uh, John, as explanation of whether these were the very words coming out of Jesus' mouth to Nicodemus, has much to teach us about the love of God. And what I would like to impress upon us is two things this morning. One is uh, what we need to do is receive the love of God. That, that's going to be first. Receive the love of God. 
And then as application, I want us to see that we are called to give the love of God. That we're called to receive the love of God. That's what this text is most directly about. Um, But also we see, I hope by application, that we're to be givers of the love of God to others. So if we've received it, we're to give it. If we've received the love of God, we're to give the love of God. So first we're to receive the love of God. That's what this text starts with is the love of God. It's what it describes and the, the, what it led to, what it brought about in the world and in us. And so I, I've tried to think of a few words uh, coming from this text to help us understand the love of God. Because it, it starts by saying God so loved the world. There's this way, this degree with which uh, he loved the world. But sometimes talking about love is so hard to to quantify it's hard to know what are we talking about like when you talk about love because we have certain ideas that love is this feeling emotion and i don't think that's exactly what this is getting at emotion may be involved uh, when we talk about love but this is a different type of love and so i try to think of a couple words from this text and what we see in it that can help us understand what this love of god is like and so the first one that i think we see from the beginning of this text I, I couldn't narrow it down to just one word for this one. You could think of it different ways. I would say that it's a, it's a voluntary love, or it's a choice that God makes. It's an act of the will of God. It's not just this emotion that sort of wells up within God that he couldn't control, but it, his love, we see even from this text, is voluntary. It's a, it's a choice that he makes, that God the Father makes to love the world. We, we tend to think of love, don't we, as this, this involuntary thing. Like it's just this thing that sort of arises within me. Like when I, see a, when I saw a certain person, I just fell in love with them. Like, and I couldn't even control it. And we'll say nonsense like you can't control who you love. Stuff like that. That is not true. Like when, when we see in this text and we're commanded even in other places to love certain people... It's implied and it's demonstrated to us that we have an ability to choose who we love. Uh, It's a choice. It is a voluntary thing that we do. And we see, I think you can even tell that from this text about the love of God. Because who does it say that he loves? Or what does it say that he loves? It says, for God so loved the world. When you see that phrase in the the Gospel of John or even in the letters that John wrote, when he talks about the world, he's not talking about something that is good. Like, oh, what a great world. What a wonderful world. Like that song that we like to sing sometimes. The the world, when John talks about it, is not a wonderful, endearing, like, uh, thing or group of people that God looks at with like, oh, man you guys are wonderful. Like, you are great. You're phenomenal. I love you guys so much. Like, it's not like he looks at our little globe, this world, and, like, see these little ant-like creatures, and he's like, oh, they're so cute and precious. And Like, when, when he talks, when John talks about the world, and when Jesus talks about the world, that is a description of everything that is against God. Everything that is at odds with God, that, that are enemies of God, including us, naturally. But it says, nonetheless, God so loved the world. That's not a response that just naturally oozes up from him as he looks at the world, the, the, the sinful world, sinful creatures that are within it. It's a choice that he makes. It, we have many things, even maybe think of it this way. We have many things that our bodies do that are just reflexes or that just we can't control. Like when you're sitting at the doctor and they hit your knee with that little triangle thing that I hate and like your knee kicks up or like you can't control that. When you're sitting here in this room, you're probably going to take hundreds of breaths 
while I'm talking, and you will probably not think about a single one of them. And your heart's probably going to beat a thousand times or more, probably thousands of times, and you're not going to be telling it to beat, 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 beat. We have many things that, that we do that our body does that we don't control, that just naturally happen within us. But love is not that way. Love is not just something that we're out of control of and that just happens to us. Love, as, as we see in God here and as we see in our own lives, is a choice we make. It's a voluntary valuing of a person. It's a voluntary esteeming of them, like saying, I value you. I value this group of people. It's more like walking, less like breathing. Like it's, a, it's an action. It's, it's something that we choose to do. D.A. Carson is a preacher, a commentator. Uh, he talked about this passage, and I love how he said this. He, he said that God's love in this passage, God's love is to be admired not because the world is so big and includes so many people, but because the world is so bad. Like when it says that God so loved the world, he's saying that he loved sinners. Like he loves broken people. He loves people who are rebels against him. And note down in verse 18, another hint that we get this, that our natural place that we are as people with God is not that we're like endearing to him, but we are already condemned. Did you check that? In verse 18, we are already condemned. That's our natural disposition when it comes to us and God is we're sinners, we're undeserving, we're guilty. Yet God looks at us and chooses to love us. To say, I am setting my favor upon them. I am setting value upon them. Uh, It is a voluntary choice that the Lord makes to love us. But the second thing you see, even in a word to describe his love, is not just that it's voluntary, but that it's active. That it actually does something. His love is an active love. Sometimes we, when we tend to think of love as just this thing I think or I feel within me, we, we dismiss the reality that love always comes forward in action. Love always comes forward in what we do. And you see this here with the love of God. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Like this love that that God chose, that he willed, it led to action. It led to the sending of Jesus, the Son of God, into the world. Unless there be any misunderstanding, I think sometimes we think of God the Father as like the angry member of the Trinity. Like he's just this hateful, angry, like wants to crush us type of part of the, the Trinity. And Jesus is like kind of this like cooler, calmer, more level headed, like come on father like take it easy on these people like uh, let's just calm down but note what this says this says god is talking about god the father god the father so loved the world that he gave his son verse 17 says that he sent his son into the world to, to save us so that we might not be condemned. So God the Father's love is what led to the sending of Christ into our world, to die for us and to be raised for us. He, he chose to love us far before the cross. Uh, Jesus' coming and his death, his resurrection, didn't make it so that God the Father could love us. Like his death and resurrection came because God the Father already loved. That's important for us to remember that there was this love that God the Father had willed and chosen and it led to action. It led to sending of, the, of God the Son into the world. And his love ultimately led to the cross and to the resurrection. When it says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
I don't think that just means that he sort of lent him to the world for 33 years or whatever, which is a drop in the bucket in the scope of eternity. Like he just gave him to us for a little while. But when it talks about him giving his son, there's much bigger things that's being described there. There was, it was, yes, him sending him into the world, which we're going to celebrate at Christmas time. But it was also a giving of him in the sense of giving him as a sacrifice for sin. Of placing him to death upon the cross for the sins of people like you and the sins of people like me. That is the action that God's love led him to. Was sending Christ, not just to come and be among us for a little while, but ultimately to give him as a substitute on the cross for us. That is the type of love that God had for us undeserving people. Is it active love? It wasn't just something he thought and worked up in his, his mind and being and then just left it be, but he put action to his love. He sent his son. He gave his son. So his love is voluntary. It's an active love. The, the cross is like the clearest demonstration of God's love. But we also see in that that his love is a, this is the last word I'll use, a selfless love. It's a selfless love. You see that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Like, I think we grossly underestimate how big of a deal that was for God the Father to send his son into the world and ultimately to crush him on the cross for our sins, to put him to death for our sins on the cross. We act like that, oh yeah, of course God does that, of course that's easy, but think about the loss of that. That, that even if it was for a moment or for a short period of time on the cross and while Jesus was in the tomb, there was a fracture in this eternal relationship between God the Father and God the Son that took place outside Jerusalem that, that Friday and Saturday into that Sunday that had infinite scope to it. That, that is harder and deeper than we can possibly imagine to have the Father turn away from His Son and to judge His Son, put Him to death on the cross for our sins. That is a selfless love that I can not even fathom like that that god the father would love me that he would love us so much that he would be willing to sacrifice his son that he would have a great loss to himself in the sending of christ and the giving up of christ on the cross and so it's a selfless love that we see in him but it, it's selfless in the sense also that it was oriented to gain for other people even as there was a loss for the son, a loss for the father, the reason that they put their love into action was for great gain of us. He said that he sent him, uh, God gave his son that whoever believes in him, believes in Christ, should not perish but have eternal life. That's what the end result is. That's what their love and their action was driving at was our gain. It, it was their loss, but it was our gain, our salvation, our forgiveness, our eternal life came through their love and through their action that followed. There, there's this great gain that comes through their love. And there's been many men and women, even children, who've tried over the years of human existence to describe the love of God. Uh, to try to put it into words, to try to, to capture it, how amazing it is, how great it is. And there's, I don't think there's any way we can adequately do it when we think about this love that he has shown to undeserving people like us. There's a hymn uh, called The Love of God that we sing here even from time to time that the last uh, chorus of it, or whatever the right term is, I don't know, but it goes like this. It's this image that helps me think how indescribable the love of God is. It says... Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made 
and were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. And whenever we sing that, like my heart is like, I feel so small and inadequate in trying to even comprehend this love of God. But I I remember that it's true nonetheless because he sent his son into our world. And if we ever doubt the love of God for us, all we have to do is to look at the cross. Paul says in Romans that God demonstrated his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, while we're condemned, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is the clearest depiction of God's love for you and for this world is what took place on the cross. That he was willing to put his son to death for our sins and raise him to life so that we might have eternal life with him. So there's this love of God that we are now called to respond to. I, I start by saying we're to receive the love of God. We're to be recipients of this love of God. And what we're called to is to believe. That's what this says, that whoever, verse 16, whoever believes in Christ should not perish but have eternal life. That's the, the first response I want to drive us to, is that when we think about this love of God and sending Christ, our first and foremost response ought to be to believe to put our trust in him, that he has come into our world and been put to death for us and raised to life for us. And there's a a sense in which all of us are already recipients of the love of God just by the fact of existing. We're all part of the world, right? God so loved the world that he sent Christ into it, that, that he sent Christ to us. But there is a special type of love that God reserves for those who believe in his son Christ. There's a fatherly love, a, a, a care for his people that the whole world collectively does not have. And that is what we, when we believe in the Son, we, we receive eternal life. We receive God's care for us as Father now. And it, it, it leads, thinking about God's love should lead us to this point where we don't try to prove ourselves worthy of the love of God, as if that's even possible, but where we respond with gratefulness and in confidence that he already loves us, even though we're unworthy. And there's so many human relationships. I'll often hear people talk about how they married up. Have you heard that phrase before? And like I often hear when people say that, they're like trying to like prove themselves worthy of their spouse's love. I'm like, man, I don't deserve such and such a person. Or, and there's, there's this thing that happens in human relationships where we're loved by someone and we feel like, man, I've got to like prove myself worthy of that now. But, but, and we can start to think of that way with the Lord that I need to prove myself to him, to prove myself worthy. But you cannot do that. God loved you while you were condemned. God loved you while you were dead in your sins and while you were still part of the world. God loved you then. Why do you feel like you need to impress him now, to prove yourself worthy of his love now? You are called to live because he already loves you. There's this effect we see here in these last few verses of this passage that, that, that thinking about the love of God should have upon us. And, and John here, or whether it's Jesus talking, they're using these images of light and dark again and talking about how people, we, many of us love the darkness, verse 19 says, but there's this change that can happen in us when we think about the love of God that can lead us to actually come into the light now. And there, originally when we're in the dark, there's this fear of being exposed. Did you see that? And the end of verse 20, he talks about how... Uh, The people who do wicked things hate the light. That's talking about Jesus. They hate the light and don't come to the light 
lest his deeds should be exposed. There's this fear that can be in our hearts when we forget the love of God, when we forget that he sent Christ, that we realize, I am in darkness. I am a sinner. I operate in darkness. I, I sin against the Lord. And if I come out into the light, I have every right to be nervous and afraid that I'm going to be exposed, that I'm going to be shown to be a fraud, that I'm going to be uh, exposed to the Lord, and he's just going to judge me. But what John is reminding us here, and Jesus, if it's him saying, is that God loved you. God loves you and has sent his son to die for you and to be raised for you. And if you place your trust in him, you ought to come into the light. You ought to have confidence that you are loved by him. That, that you don't need to be nervous and afraid to have your sin be exposed. The fear of being exposed is, should be overpowered by the confidence of being accepted. The, the fear of being exposed as a sinner should be overpowered by the confidence of being accepted. And so there's this amazing love that's described here, this effect that it should have on us, that it should start to change us where we were in darkness, but now we want to and we actually do go and we seek to live in the light. And what, I want to apply this to us uh, briefly uh, in the area of our own love for one another. Uh, because, and I'm, I know that's not directly mentioned in this text. It, it does talk about uh, how there's these deeds down in verse 21. These deeds that we do that are good now, that are changed, that, that have been carried out in God. It, 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 he's talking about how there's these things that we now do as his people that God empowers us to do. And one of those things that John talks about over and over and over again is this idea of loving one another the same way that God has loved us. Uh, you read through the letter of First John sometime and you see that come up over and over and over and over again saying we've been loved by God in this way that God so loved us. Now let us turn around and love each other. Like, let's, let's all learn to, to, to care for one another the same way that God has loved us. And so we're not just to be recipients of divine love, but we're to be channels of it. We're to be givers of it as well. So that's the second thing is to give the love of God. I don't know. This maybe is for older folks in the room, maybe even older than me. Uh, there is a guy who came to be known as the John 316 guy back in like the 80s and the 90s, uh, which is ancient times to some of you, I know. Uh, but back in the 80s and 90s, uh, there was this guy named Rollins Stewart. Uh, he would wear a rainbow wig. This might bring back some memories to some people. And he would go to sporting events, and he would wear this shirt that said John 316 real big. And he would try to get positioned like behind goalposts or like dugouts and stuff like that whenever there was a big game. And he wanted to, he was said he wanted to get the message out of God loving the world and sending Christ into it to bring salvation. And this, this dude, is, his is a fascinating story, because if, if you follow his story, he stopped doing this in the early 1990s, stopped spreading this message of love of God, because he's in prison now. Because he started, I think he started losing some mental stability, honestly. But he, in L.A., in the early 1990s, there was this instance where he actually thought the world was about to end. And he first wanted to get this message out to all these news outlets. And he actually took a couple hostages in a hotel uh, and, like, threatened police and whatnot. He's in prison now, has been for quite some time. And I mentioned this guy's story because it's a very obvious example where there's this man trying to preach the love of God and say, God loves us, he sent Christ for us. But then he had no love, it seems, for fellow human beings 
or he at least came to a point in his time where he was willing to do harm and detriment to his fellow human beings for the sake of trying to teach people to love God. And he, he had his message and his life all out of whack at that point in time. And we can do the same where all of us, I trust, or most of us would say, yeah, I love God, God loves me. Um, but then when it comes to actually giving that love to other people, and particularly to other Christians, we fall far short. And we're not taking hostages or harming people. We are not diligently seeking to love others the same way that God has loved us and so i want to talk for just a minute about how we can be givers of the love of god if you read the book of first john the same man who recorded this story for us in first john four he said this he said in this is love not that we've loved god but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins that's just talking about how jesus took the wrath for our sins on the cross but he says this he says beloved if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he's talking specifically to Christians and saying, if God has loved us this way, that he went to great lengths in sending Christ and actively demonstrating his love to us, then we ought to have a similar love for one another. We ought to seek to love him in the same way. And so if God's love is a voluntary choice of his will, then ours ought to be as well for fellow Christians. That the love we have for fellow Christians sometimes is hard. It's sometimes something, it doesn't always just naturally well up within us. Like when we look around at our, I love my life group. I'm not saying anything about my life group. When we look at our life group, whatever life group you're in, uh, maybe you look at them and you think, man, these people can be hard to love sometimes. Or I get disappointed with them or let down by them. Or when I look around this room. I look in the class I'm in, or I look within my own household at the other Christians in there, there's, there's not this natural like, oh man, aren't they so lovable? Aren't they so worthy of my attention and my affection and my care? But God loved us in spite of our sin. God made a choice to love us, to set his attention on us and his favor upon us. And we are to do the same with fellow sinners within the church. That people, maybe we don't have natural hobbies that we click on or that we, we don't have shows that we watch together or, or places we like to go or certain life experiences that we have in common. But we have in common that we are bought by the blood of Christ and are going to be together for eternity in the new earth. And that ought to be enough to give us something to talk about, should it not? Like that we can actually help people and pray with people and listen to people. And even if they're old and I'm young or they're a man and I'm a woman or they uh, have come from wealth and I'm in poverty or whatever. Like we can love one another and make a willful choice. Say, I'm going to set my attention upon them. I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to show favor to them. I'm going to value them. Our love ought to be voluntary. It ought to be something that we choose. And as an aside, there's many ways I could apply this, but I have a big heart for the young people of our church and always have. And I want to commend to the parents that are in the room, and I know that's not all of us, or maybe even future parents, to teach your children to love the church. Because if you teach them to have all their friendships come from the things that they have these natural affinities with, like it's my volleyball team or my club at school or my neighborhood kids, or whatever. Like, those are wonderful. Those are fine. Like, th those friendships ought to develop. But sometimes we unintentionally teach our young people that friendships and bonds should only come over hobbies 
and over common interests and things that we like to do. And then those young people get to the end of high school and their friends go to colleges or they, their volleyball team is done and this thing that they've established, all their friendships around, the, that they've learned to love people doing are gone and they have no love for the church. They have no love for fellow Christians. So I want, I, would, I want so badly, and I know you can't make your children love anything, but I want us to try to teach our kids to value the local church. Like to value, we're to love one another. And so we ought to make a priority of having them be around other Christians, whether it's in our home, whether it's here at church, even faithfully worshiping together, being part even of groups and programs uh, that we have. We don't do those for no reason. It's to try to teach a love of Christ, a love for one another. Uh, So I would just commend that to parents to think about that. If you're teaching and modeling for your children, a love for God's people. So our love's to be voluntary. It's also to be active towards fellow Christians. Like many of us, if we're believers, we say, yep, I love all these people. I love these Christians. Aren't they great? And we just, so we, but then we do nothing to actually care for them. Like we don't do anything week to week, day to day to actually engage another Christian. We come and maybe we sit down here for an hour and then we get up and leave. And then when next week rolls around, we come here, uh, we sit down for an hour. But our love is to be an active love God's people in that same letter in 1st John 3 16 if we want to go back to like all the 3 16s 1st John 3 16 uh, and 17 18 says this and John always goes back I appreciate this to the love of Jesus and then says we should love that way and he says this he says by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers do you hear that like we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, and this is a zinger to my soul, he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Like if we say we love God's people, it needs to show in how we live our lives. It needs to show in how we spend our time. It needs to show in what we say to people and how we treat people and how we think about our money, how we think about our time, how we think about our home, how we think about the entirety of our life, that we are to show love to fellow Christians. We're to actively show love. God's love was one that led to action. And our love ought to be one that leads to action as well. And I would commend to you, like, you cannot love people that you don't know. You can't actively love people that you don't know what needs are in their life, that you don't know what hurts are in their life, what pains are in their life, what sins are in their life. So you need, I would encourage you to get in a life group if you're not. I can talk with you about that and help you get connected in a small group of people within our church or some context where you have other Christians you're talking to and listening to and, and caring for and praying for and giving hugs and you're listening to them. And like your love needs to come out in action and how you care for fellow Christians. And as an aside, I want to commend, uh, this is a minor need, but it's significant. We have a need for uh, a small group leader in our high school girls group. There's a wonderful group. I was talking to Jake Osborne about this. There is a wonderful group of young women that are in high school within our group. And we've had a hard time finding someone to care for them. Like finding somebody to spend time on a Wednesday night to care for young ladies. Like, we need to be a church that when there's opportunity, and I'm not like condemning us, but when there's opportunities that come up and when we need helpers in nursery and when we need 
activities to happen. We need um, people to be cared for through um, benevolence. And when we need, when we have things that we're seeking to do, or when opportunities come up in your life, just as an individual, off the grid of the formal church life, like be people who are willing to do it. Like be people who are. We I need to be this. Somebody who's willing to give my time, like my time and my life and to inconvenience myself because God's love is a selfless love, right? And our love ought to be a selfless love. It's to be active. But by giving of myself and loving people, there's going to be loss to me. I'm going to have to give up the thing I... the the exercise group I like to go to or the thing I like to do on on this certain time of day or the, this club that I'm part of or so I'm going to need to give and we're called to give generously even to the point of loss when it comes to economics for, for the gain of God's kingdom. There, the love that God motivates us to is a love of loss. It's a love of giving of myself even to the point of hurt or stretching or pain in me, giving up my routine, giving up my simplicity. But it, it's a call to love at loss of self so that there might be gain in others, so that there would be people who are cared for, that are built up in their faith, that are benefited by me giving my time, giving, uh, giving of my money, giving of my attention, giving of, of myself, my home, my family, giving of myself for others. There will be great gain that comes to us and I think we'll find if we love people in that way that we will our love will start to have the same effect on them that God's love has had upon us that we saw in this original text that that we who were in darkness and who were ashamed and were in in sin are now willing because God loved us to come into the light say this is who I am thank you for loving me like please help me I want to live for you that's how God's love affects us and when we start to show this type of love to fellow Christians, where we actually genuinely care about each other, and we actively care about each other, selflessly care about each other, I think we'll find a willingness in ourselves and other people to start to share more about our life. Say, this is who I am. This is the darkness I've been living in. I need to deal with it. I need help with it. And we will see that our love leads people into the light just as God's love has led us into the light. I'm going to uh, show a video. It's four or five minutes long. It'll be the last thing, I promise. Um, it's a video uh, from one of our sister churches, uh, Sovereign Grace Church, outside Philadelphia. Uh, and it's about the, this family and grief that they've been going through, but how God's people in their church loved them. How God's love was expressed through their church's love. Uh, just what we're talking about today. And side note, the main guy who's featured in this, if you were here several weeks ago when I sort of poked fun at a guy who went to the wrong airport. Do you guys, some of you remember this? Like he was seeking for a guy at the wrong airport and I kind of made fun of this guy. This is actually that guy. So this is to redeem him. Like he's a wonderful man. Uh, but this is a wonderful story of God's love demonstrated through his people's love. And then I'll close with a benediction. I'm Jared Meliner, this is my wife Megan, and uh, we got married in 2002 and uh, immediately started having kids. So we have six kids, there are three boys and three girls. Uh, our oldest boys are Ryle and Ben, and then comes Lily, and uh, Isaac is our youngest son, and then we have two girls uh, at the end of the line, Juliet and Agatha is our youngest. It was June 11th of... 2016, um, 
that we took Aggie into the emergency room um, because she had some swollen, what we thought were just swollen glands on her neck, and we thought it was basically an infection in her, um, in her lymph nodes. Um, it was one of those things that unfolded a lot like a dream sequence. You think you're just taking your kid into the ER, hopefully they'll be discharged in a couple hours, and the next thing you know, the head of oncology is sitting in your room um, giving you news that you never thought you'd hear. She had um, T-cell lymphoma, also goes by acute lymphoblastic um, leukemia. Those first 48 hours when we were in the intensive care unit with Aggie, um, they were just beyond a shadow of a doubt, the darkest hours I've ever experienced. And, um, and everything did seem so dark at the time, and yet, I, I did just fall back on God's word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Uh, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And it says this in verse 5, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And so that uh, what God says he is in the day of trouble is, uh, is something that ministered to me throughout that time and continues to. I remember writing out Psalm 23 and in between the lines of scripture, just writing my own laments to the Lord in that and, um, and my pleadings for mercy and for his goodness to really follow us down this dark path he had us on. And, and just that feeling of, Okay, Lord, you're calling us to go down this dark path, and I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But you're calling us to, and so I'm going to trust you're going to meet us. I'm going to trust that there'll be grace there for us when we need it, but I still don't want to go. Southern Grace has, has really had a, a two-part mission over the years. It's to plant local churches, but it's also to care for those local churches. Uh, I've always actually loved uh, the fact that we've referred to ourselves as a family of churches. And I think that expresses something about who we are and what we desire to do. And I think one of, one of the joys of, of Sovereign Grace is just the commitment to care for um, local members, care for them both pastorally, uh, but making sure that we're caring one for another like the Bible talks about. debt of gratitude to Covenant Fellowship is so profound. Uh, a trial of this magnitude I would have been taken under if I didn't have the local church there on many levels. You know, there's the spiritual level of people praying for us and caring for us and sending us cards with encouragements and scripture. Um, and then there's the practical things that people did as well. And that list is rather huge of how the church served our family. We had a um, friend, Paula Rogers, who put together a meal train that basically she organized all the help for our family. And that in itself was a pretty big job um, to organize 
all the help that we would need. And we had another dear woman in the church, um, Karen Joseph, who homeschooled all of her children. They're grown. She's a grandmother now. She's an amazing teacher, and she stepped in and taught um, two of our kids that I homeschooled, taught them science for the year, and just took that load, that subject, off of me. And she would come every Monday, teach them science, and they loved it. Probably about six or seven months of people doing my grocery shopping. Um, and that too, it's like the, my list is not a small list. I have big lists for people. You know, I love that it's a part of Aggie's story. The care of the local church, the love of the local church is written upon her life uh, at such a young age. This is forever a part of her story. Um, and so we look to be very intentional in recording this and writing it down and talking about the care we've received so that as she grows we can communicate this to her um, and say here's how uh, the church family was a family to you here's how they, they cared for you uh, and for our family during this time Sorry, I'm going to invite you all to stand. I want to leave us with a word of uh, benediction. And, and may we remember that we don't have to wait for earth life shattering things like that to show love to one another. We can show love to another even in the little conversations we're about to have here in a minute. Uh, there's small tangible ways we show attention and care for one another. So I'm going to leave you with this. It's First uh, John 4 verse 19. And uh, if you zoned out for the entirety of the sermon, here is the sermon in one little drop. It says... We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. So let's remember this week that he loved us first, that he sent Christ for us. But also remember that we're called to love each other now um, by his power and with his help. Amen. Amen.